Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. That man's having a baby pretty soon. Well, he's not, but his wife is. He was a part of it. You get credit. Um, no, it's, I'm honored to speak with you all this morning. I'm going to pray for us again real quick because I just feel the spirit on that. So, Father God, I just I thank you for for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Lord. We just glorify your name. We thank you, Lord, just for new life today. We thank you, Father, for your power, your resurrection power, Father, that we're co-crucified with you, that we're co-raised with you. Lord, we just, we just honor you this morning, Lord. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Messiah, the risen one, the only one. We thank you, Lord, that you are the way and the truth and the life, and we just we welcome you to calm Holy Spirit and have your way in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the last few months I've been doing, um, I've taken us, for those of you that have been around, um, we've been, I've been going through this series about, about peace and about how God brings peace. And this is sort of a continuation, sort of new, but it's connected. Um, so, Here's, just to bring you up to speed, the last three, three times I spoke, I talked about how three ways God brings peace. Jesus brings peace. Number one, he brings peace between God and man, so individually. And that's what, in part what we witnessed today. Like, he had, he's reconciled us back to God, and so we are new creations in Christ. We can live a new life, and we're also set free from sin, from death, from decay. Um, and so we get to celebrate that this morning. He's reconciled us back to God individually. He brings peace. Jesus brings peace between each and every one of us together. So between people and people groups, we have peace through the, our union with Jesus. Number three, he brings peace to the whole world. God actually has a plan, and we're in the middle of it, of redeeming and reconciling all things back to God. And that's, that, that includes a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what I spoke about last time. And it's, it's a concept that I'm just chewing on. Honestly, there's just so much in it. So go back and listen to all of them, but specifically the one last week or last month. So today I want to talk about in relation to that, in relation to how God is reconciling all things back to himself, all things in the world through Jesus Christ. In relation to that, we have a pivotal role to play. Now it's all through Christ. It's by faith in him. It's by his grace that we come back to God. It's by his grace we can even stand here today. When you worship and you feel the presence of God, that's only by his grace can you engage with the living God. I mean, it's an astounding reality and and it's all by grace. But in light of, of his design, of his desire, of his plan for the earth to bring reconciliation to all things, he made you and I, ambassadors for that reconciliation. He said, not me, he said, I'm going to partner with man, with women, with, with my children on the earth. <clears throat> he said, I'm going to partner with you to bring forth full reconciliation on the earth. I'm not just going to do it by my own power, by my own strength. Yes, I, I send Jesus. Yes, I'll raise up Christ to do it by and through my divine power and strength, but I'm going to use you to actually institute it on the earth. That's his plan. Some people don't like that. They're like, well, but God is all powerful and he's just going to do it. Yeah, but he chose to do it through you and me. That's what he said. And so if you're all about God's plan, well, that's the plan. <laughs> so he commissions us. So today, my message, if you could title it, it's, it's called Commissioned by Christ. You and I are commissioned by Jesus himself to, to be image bearers and to help bring and reconcile everything on the earth back to God. Now, certainly, you and I are ill-equipped in our own strength to do this. But in Christ, through, through, by grace, through faith, we can do this with him. It's very possible, and in fact, to say it's not possible is to reject the very premise of the Bible. It's an invitation for you and I to partner with him to see a new heaven and a new earth, 
to see his kingdom come in its fullness. So commissioned by Christ, that's what I'm talking about today. If you're going to talk about commissioning, you've got to start with the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, I'm going to start in Matthew 28, verse 18. The resurrected Christ comes on, comes on the scene, and he gives this charge to his disciples, and that's to you and to me. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's an important point. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Let's start there. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that's what we did today, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Isn't that good? Some of us know that verse a little too well. We gotta, we gotta keep going back to it, keep reminding ourselves, what does it mean? All authority has been given to Jesus. And now he's saying, with my authority, with the authority that Jesus has gained for us, go and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, which is what we prayed. It was, the worship was loud, but that's what we were praying over them. We baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Trinity, as Jesus taught us to. So that's what we're doing today, and that's what we've all been commanded to do. It's not, you know, Rich has been talking about the apostolic church and such a great component or reality in that, which he's unpacked beautifully, is we all get to be a part of it. This is not a commissioning just for the apostles or just for the pastoral team. This is commissioning for the body of Christ. Every person gets to go and baptize the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. See, even if you weren't laying hands on the person today, in a sense, we're all unified together as believers in Christ, baptizing them together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's something in that. Like, I never thought about that till right now. And that is an astounding thing. <laughs> That's wild to me. Um, so today I want to dive specifically into the life of Apostle Paul. I want to dive into his life and I, 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 through the, the moments that changed his life, through his personal encounter with Jesus, that, that gave him a, a continual communion with God, but in that same moment of salvation, of communing with God, he was commissioned. It happened interchangeably. And so even today, even as we have, you know, there's five individuals here in this room who, who were baptized, they, they now, they walk in a communion with God, but now there's a commissioning on their life that's so important that, that they and all of us discern. Communion, but a commission. There's something to do. There's, your life has really, it matters. There's purpose. There's meaning in the, your existence on the earth. And what you do matters. And Jesus has given you specific things to do. And it'll make your life wonderful if you do them. And it'll make your life a struggle if you don't. Because you're not walking in your purpose. Does that make sense? I was telling this to those that are being baptized today. Um, I was telling them, you know, it's not, this is not like an end point. Like, this is not like being, it's not that, oh my gosh, praise God, like now I'm saved and I can go to heaven. That's why I better get in that tank so that I can be with Jesus forever. Like, honestly, that is like a new concept. That's not, that was not in the mind of Apostle Paul when he got saved and baptized. I can tell you that. He wasn't just like, get me in the tank so I can go be in heaven and get out of this earth. That's not what he was thinking. <laughs> and that's not how we're, what we're, how we're called to disciple. And what that means is your life has value. You're not just going to heaven. You have a new life. You are a new creation in Christ. And you're going to come alive. You're going to come alive and you're going to be able to do the things that God's called you to do. And it's about the life that you live now. It's not about going to heaven one day in your death. You will have that. You, you will go to heaven. You will be with God. But that's not what it's about. That's just a great, that's just a great after thought, honestly. You get to live life with God now. And you're going to be with him in the future. And it's not just going to be in heaven. It's going to be on heaven and on earth. There's a new heaven, new earth reality. And so th these things I, I feel just are undertaught and underappreciated. But this is where we're going. This is why we were made. And this is why God's connected us back to him. So salvation is not an invitation to a, it is an invitation to a new life, not 
is simply a security for a future heavenly home. I'm going to say that again. Salvation is an invitation to a new life, not a security for a future heavenly home. And I'm telling you today, if you've been living that way, if that's kind of just what you were taught in your mindset, you're getting commissioned today. Like your life is going to be more than just, I'm hanging in until Jesus comes back. It's going to be fulfilled and it's going to be in communion with him and you're going to do things with him and for him that are going to be beautiful. They're going to connect you to his heart even more. You know, I can remember when I got saved. I can remember when I was 18 years old, which I was talking to Angie. She's 18. I was like, I remember that. I remember that moment. Like, I remember, like, when God touched me and I came out of that tank. I didn't get baptized, but it was, you know, felt that way. And I came out of that moment and I, all of a sudden, life just was different, right? Like, even the food I tasted was richer, you know, the, the air I breathed was cleaner. The, um, the, the, way, the hope that I felt was continual. Um, it, it's just you can't underplay what God does in the human heart, the, the transformation of new life that we have in Jesus. But I remember, too, I had, a, I had that deep richness, and I, all of a sudden I could begin to dialogue and connect with his heart. But for me, and I don't know about you, but for me there was also a commissioning and empowerment to go and share Jesus. And that, some of us have had those moments, especially early on, and, and we've trailed off a bit. Like, we had that fire and that, that zeal, and then things kind of sizzled, or fizzled, rather. <laughs> sizzled. They fizzled. But I want to tell you today, like, there's something about God recommissioning us to fulfill the Great Commission. I'm telling you. If you're feeling shame about that, like if I just articulate that, you're like, oh man, yeah, I remember. I remember when I was this, 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 when I was just running after people, trying to share Jesus with them. Don't get down, like choose to engage with what he's doing today because he wants to recommission you. It's not a shame component. It's, a, it's an empowerment for you to walk in everything God made you to be. And sometimes it, you feel that zeal in the moment, but you don't have the maturity to carry it off. So some of you, you've been doing it 10 years. Now you actually have the maturity. Like you just have to re-engage with the God who commissions you to go. The maturity is there. That wasn't there when you were 20 years old getting out of the baptism tank. Corinthians 5, starting at verse 14, says, For Christ, this Paul writing, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now, we regard no one according to a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone, is in, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you see, we read that verse sometimes when we talk about being a new creation. We read the verse I just read that, that we are a new creation in Christ, that the Old is gone, the new has come. But the next line is really important. And it says in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, with, with, with a transformed heart, now you're, you become a sent one, you become a commissioned one to go and say, hey, everybody, there is access to God through Jesus. You can be reconciled to him and and this is the life you were made to live. And so that's how the gospel took off in the book of Acts. You had people who had new life, Christ in them, the hope of glory, and they were bursting at the seams to tell anybody they could about it. And those people that got the gospel, all of a sudden faith came in their heart and they got touched and the next person, the next person, the next person. And so it's explosive, this gospel, but you can't forget there's a commissioning part with the communion. You commune with him, but he commissions you as well. And so it's a great prayer to say, God, would you make me a reconciler? Would you, would you use me 
in the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile all things back to you. That's a great prayer. You should pray that. You know, here a, few, a month ago, whatever, I don't know how long it was, we were, we were talking about, you know, our participation with Jesus and reconciling things back to him. And we went into a prayer movement. If it went into a prayer thing. You know, Brandon got up here and he shared about the Ukraine. And when he shared about that, I don't know if you caught it, but the room began to engage with, God, we want to see peace on the earth. God, we want to see a move in Ukraine, in Russia, for the people of Ukraine, for the people of Russia, in all Eastern Europe. And we began to engage with God in prayer. We were, we were commissioned to pray those things, and we were engaging in it. And some of you came alive in that moment. Why? Because the Spirit of God in you has caused, commissioned you to pray for the nations, to go to the nations. And so when that stuff happens, the Spirit in you is like freaking out. <laughs> it's like, yes, that is why I'm in you. <laughs> I'm in you to remind you of the future glory, but I'm in you to empower you to do the things that God wants to do. And so when we pray like that, I'm telling you, it, the, you want to talk about presence? When you pray for, for God to come, for God to move on the earth, when you start praying for, for people to get saved, that's when the presence comes the strongest, I find. Now, if you're just praying, God, touch me, God, you know, it's like, you can pray that, that's okay. But when you start praying the things on God's heart, he wants to touch you, but he wants to touch the nations. When you pray that, stuff moves. And I don't see stuff in the spirit, but I can feel it. And I feel it moving. You know, I saw that last Sunday, actually. Or when was that? Yeah, it was last Sunday. Up here in the front. I was telling Julie about it. I was like, we're praying this stuff, and there's really a spiritual activity because we're praying what God wants. And that's why he's coming. That's why he's moving. And it's not to manipulate him. It's to, it's to be conduits for what he wants to do. Um, so it's not a formula, not at all, but it, it's, it's us fulfilling our commission. So the challenge is, and the stresses that we're facing, and the, and the news and the, and the information around us, the challenge is, how do we remain fixated on Jesus instead of all these other things that want to, that all these other narratives that would want to entice us? Get involved in this. Do that. Do this. And a lot of those things are, you know, they might be positive things to be involved in, but they take our eyes off the one. They take our eyes off the living Christ. And so that that really is the challenge that our generation faces now more than ever. In an information age, you have got so many potential distractions, but I'm telling you, God's raising up a generation that in the midst of all the distractions, we're gonna choose the one. And it's more powerful, and it's more of a witness to the world than any other generation, because no other generations has so many options, so many things they can engage their mind around, so many things they could align with, whether it's different religions or different mindsets or, or just pure politics, like you name it, so many narratives. We're saying, I'm choosing the narrative of Jesus. I'm choosing to focus on him. When you do that, the world will respond. The world will say, at least they'll call you weird. At best, they'll give their life to the Lord because they'll say, I don't know what that is, but that person has a purpose and a calling and a, and a life and a love in his heart or her heart that I can't replicate, that I don't understand. And so it's a beautiful moment to focus on Jesus and to, and to be able to like say, he's my only one. When you do that, people are gonna be so drawn to you and you're gonna disciple nations now more than ever. Because hearts are wide open. I mean, hearts are wide open in this city. I could sit here and tell you, and I might at the end, some of these testimonies. People are running to churches, running to believers, asking, tell me how to be saved. Tell me, how do I, how do I talk to this Jesus? Like, what do I do to be saved? Like, this is a book of Acts type of stuff. And these questions are being asked, and these hearts are being opened. And you and I, our goal in this community, how do we equip one another? How do we, not just ourselves, how do we equip one another? I'm responsible for you, you're responsible for your brother and sister to be able to bring in the harvest, to be able to fulfill our commission and love people and show them Christ, especially right now, always. But I'm telling you, right now is a key moment. It's a key moment. You know, I'm, um, I'm in the uh, process of buying a house. And in that process, you know, you have to get this thing called home insurance. You know, it's so annoying. It's like, gosh, I got to get this? Really? I'm joking. But 
Um, but you do, you have to get it. And so I get my home insurance and they send me a big packet in the mail with all the insurance details, right? So I'm perusing it this week and looking through it. And uh, like, man, don't read those things. Like, those things are like, they're terrifying. You ever read through one of those things? So yeah, it's a thick book, and it's basically everything that could possibly go wrong with your house. We're going to put it in this book. Like, all the crazy things that you could ever think of, things you've never thought before that could go wrong. And we're going to tell you if we insure you or not, if that goes bad. Because if it does go bad and you come to us, we'll be like, nope, it's in that big book that you never read. And we don't insure you. So good luck. Pray to Jesus. So I read the book, some of it, and it got me praying. <laughs> I was like, Lord, protect this house. No termites in Jesus' name. No earthquakes in Jesus' name. Because they're not protected under the insurance program. <laughs> But you know what's weird in there? It's like they cover you if there's a volcanic eruption. <laughs> but if a pipe breaks in your basement, they're like, nope, don't cover it. <laughs> I'm in volcanoes in New Jersey. It's not happening. But my, my point is, there, th that brochure is so representative of just Anytime you're on the internet, like anytime you are engaged with media, anytime you're even talking to a good friend, there are, is so much fear, propaganda, and I, I call it propaganda just because any fear that pulls you away from Jesus, that's propaganda, like because it's pulling you away from God's narrative. That, that is earthly propaganda. It might be factual on the earth, but it's not factual in terms of what God wants to do on the earth, and it's pulling us away from his narrative. And so there's fear attached to a lot of the narratives in the earth right now. And it's, fear has become popular. It's become this form of wisdom. An abundance of caution is what everybody needs to do. Like, seriously, like people say these things as if they're wisdom. Caution's good. It's fine. But not in every th little thing in your life. And, and so I, it's an, when you entertain that stuff, you entertain the enemy. Because there is fear that's rampant in our culture today, and we have to say, no, I reject it. I reject that fear. I will not let it into my mind, into my heart, because Jesus has won, and I know his plan and his ways are good, and they will come to pass. I'm telling you, we got to get militant about fear. Don't entertain it. And you'll know it. It's not just the words that are being told to you. It's not, it's not just what party is saying what. It's not that. It's how you let it affect your heart. Does that make sense? It's, it's how you take it and, and what you do with it. And if you meditate on it, and if you try to mitigate for the risk, or you take it in prayer and you discern what God's doing in the earth. We're a prophetic company. And part of being prophetic is putting all the fear to bed and saying, God's going to do this. I understand his storyline, and I'm so caught up in that, that fear's got no hold in my heart. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what happens. I don't care if there's another pandemic. I don't care. I don't care if there's an earthquake, which why would there be an earthquake at my house in New Jersey? But if there is, I don't care because God is on the throne and his plan is going to take place. No matter what earthquake, no matter what pipe breaks, no matter if there's a volcano, if there's a volcano in New Jersey, boy, we got the end times on our hands. <laughs> and I'm not insured. Wait, no, I am actually. I am insured. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but you know what they don't? They don't cover war. You know that? They don't cover, they don't cover war. So that's one. That's for Jesus. <laughs> I read the book, you guys. Come talk to me afterward. I'll tell you. Maybe yours is better than my coverage. So anyway, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. I'm getting off point. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to look, I just want to give a little backstory with Paul because it's really important as we're going to delve into his life a little bit. Um, so Paul is a devout Jew. He is devout to the core. He's a Pharisee. And so he writes this about himself. So we know this from the Bible himself. We're going to Philippians 3, verse 4 and 6. Here's what it says. It's Paul writing to the church in Philippi. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. 
as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's got a great resume for traditional Judaism. He, is, he, he was trained by some of the best, and, and, he was, and he knew his Bible. I mean, he knew the Torah. He was, he was full of knowledge, full of vigor, full of life. And, you know, the picture that, that I've always painted of him is really incorrect. Like, I don't think I've understood the fact that this man, there was a level of sincerity and love for God it was manifest just in light of how he understood the, the Torah. Like it was manifest in light of how we understood God. But there was a devotion that was real and a desire um, for what was right and true. It was just misplaced. And so N.T. Wright has a book on Paul that I found really interesting. I think it's called The Apostle Paul. Um, and, I, and I read through it and it shows the picture that he paints. I'll just give you a few things. He talks about how, how Paul kept... Keeping the Torah was so critical um, in Judaism, and, and it still is, but specifically in Paul's time. So he was so keen on keeping the Torah. He was keen on studying God's word, and he was awaiting the coming of the kingdom of God. And in his mind, if he's able to fulfill all the obligations, all the things of the law, like then that is the opportune moment for the return of the Lord, for God to restore and redeem and bring hope to the world through the nation of Israel. So he's focused on the Jews, he's focused on Israel, and, and he's awaiting this moment. And so in his mind, when the church comes on the scene, uh, when the Christians come on the scene like that, that is taking, that, that's going to keep, keep Israel from receiving the kingdom, right? just as it had in, with the Babylonians, just as it had over history, with going back to Adam and Eve, right? They sinned against God, they they, they, they strayed away, and then God kicked them out of the garden. So in his mind, he's trying to preserve what God wants to do on the earth. He's not seeing it as a negative. He sees the church as a negative. And so Paul, for those of you that know, he was a persecutor of the church. That He's mentioned as standing there at the stoning of Stephen. He even went to Damascus, we're about to read about. He went there to go. He had a list of names, and he was going to go get these Christians in Damascus and send them to prison. So he was on a mission he was bent on taking down the Christians because he was following what he thought to be God, the traditions of his faith. So these are really important facts, and, and his zeal was real. It was just misplaced. Some of you know how that is, don't you? I do. Even as a Christian, tremendous zeal, but do I have God's heart? Tremendous faith, but am I praying what he wants in accordance with him. Certainly as a non-believer, I had zeal too. Maybe you did as well. And Jesus wants to take that zeal and align it with his kingdom. And he is full of grace, full of mercy. And Paul, in all of his shortcomings, was God redeemed it. And that's what we're going to get into today, how God redeemed it and the new life that, we experience, that Paul experienced and that you and I have as well. So Paul's the whole narrative of Paul, at least the historical narrative, is, is best told in the book of Acts. And so we're going to go through the book of Acts today in a bit detail. The book of Acts, one really fascinating component of the book of Acts, it was written by Luke, Dr. Luke. He wrote the book of Luke as well. And so they really, it's great to read them together, Luke and Acts. Um, read them side by side, same author. But if you look in Acts, testimony after testimony after testimony of people giving their life to Jesus of them being baptized, what we saw today, and their life being transformed, and how through each and every one of those moments, God was bringing his kingdom, expanding it across the earth. And so the book of Acts can really be summarized quite well in the opening chapter, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the framework for the rest of the book. So check this out, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, this is Jesus, the resurrected Christ, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So if you know your geology or whatever you, yeah, geographically, geographically what's going on here, you've got Jerusalem and then the next Judea is the area around it. Samaria is a, you know, half Jew, half not, half Gentile, and then the ends of the earth. 
So what he's talking about is dropping a stone in a pond and you see the ripple effect, right? It's a ripple effect from Jerusalem. The gospel is going forth beyond the Jewish people to the whole world. And so Luke is laying this out and then he tells you how that happens. So he's telling you, Jesus said, this is what I'm gonna do. And then Jesus commissions his apostles to do it. And guess what? They do it. <laughs> and they're still doing it. You and I, as, as followers of Jesus, are still bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But if you go through the whole book and take it through that chronological order, you start to see what happens in Jerusalem with the Jews there, what happens in Judea, what happens in Samaria, and then you see the gospel expand to the Gentile world. And Paul is the primary figure that you see it in. So Peter is raised up as the rock, as the, lead, as the head of the church. But then there's a transition point in the book of Acts, and it begins to focus on Paul and his mission to reach the Gentiles. So there you go. I gave you the book of Acts in a nutshell. But when you read it, if you take it through that, out, through that like big picture, it really helps to see the power of the gospel, and it helps to see the, the commissioning that took place and that, how God delivered on it through his people. So I'm going to jump into uh, Acts chapter 9. And this is where the storyline really shifts, starts to shift more from Peter to Paul. Um, or at least Paul is introduced. And when I, I'm going to say Saul, he's also known as Paul. So when I say Saul, that's Paul. That's who I'm talking about here. Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. How ironic is it, the man that comes to bind the church, the man that comes to oppress the church and put them in prison, in a sense gets imprisoned by Jesus. He becomes blinded by the Lord, <laughs> captive by him, and eventually transformed by the Spirit. It's a beautiful irony that uh, I think Luke probably understood when he put it in there. And essentially, um, this moment is like Paul's moment with the resurrected Christ. It's almost like Jesus, when he showed up for the other apostles, right? and he gave them, gave them the great commission while he was on the earth. It's like Paul got that just a bit later. He got that while Christ was in heaven, and, and Christ made accommodation for him being a little late to the party, and he shows up and encounters Paul in this dramatic way, and it changes his life forever. We can't underappreciate the magnitude of this moment. Historians understand it, Historians say, what the heck happened to this man? They write some crazy stuff about what they think happened to Paul. If you ever read some of the scholars, what they, read about, what they write about this moment, because the world can't comprehend this type of transformation. It cannot. They think, oh, it was the heat. You know, he was, he was just really, you know, he was having a heat stroke, and, and then he saw crazy things. You know, he must have been meditating too much on, on the scriptures, and then he just went nuts. You know, like, they, they, it was really, it's funny to read it all. It's like the world doesn't understand this type of transformation. They don't, they've never seen someone go from this zealous Jewish man to like, he's still a Jewish man doing Jewish things, but now he's flipping the world upside down. And, and he's writing things that the whole entire world reads now more than anything else. People read Paul more than they read anything. <laughs> like anything on the planet. They read what this man wrote. And this is the moment that changed his heart and his life forever. And it was an encounter with Jesus that did it. That's what you and I need more than anything. You need an, people that got baptized today, they got baptized because they had an encounter with Jesus. And that's why we want to be sure that it was an encounter, that you are his, that you know him, 
because that's why you're getting baptized because you've had an encounter and you want to give your life away. It's a serious thing. It's a commission as well as a communion. Amen. All right, verse 10. So this is Acts 9. Uh, we'll keep going. Verse 10. In Damascus, I love this part, by the way. This is one of my favorite little stories in the scriptures. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Look, he's already praying. He just, he just had an encounter. There he is. He's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. I feel like he said it like this. <laughs> and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Like, this is, this is kind of an alarming request, Jesus. I got so excited I lost my place here. <laughs> And he has come here with authorities, authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's like, Lord, my name's probably on that list. Like, I'm in Damascus and I'm a believer in you. I'm praying to you right now. He's got my name. I'm going to go to him. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Key point. Paul's calling, it was right from the beginning. His commission was to go to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Very specific, up front, right when he got saved. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Also up front. The calling, the commission, and also the suffering. What he's going to have to endure for Jesus. This is serious stuff. You put people in a baptism tank, you think, oh, my old man's dead. It is, but your new man is going to have to suffer. To be honest, that's what, that's what Christian life looks like. In America, we don't always see it that way, but that's what it looks like. Oh, thank God I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it, but that's the reality of what I'm called to do. And when you don't do it, you feel dead and bored on the inside. You do. When you don't, if you don't have a commission, you feel dead and bored because you're not fulfilling the call on your life. And it looks different for different people, but it's so critical. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. That man's got faith. <laughs> Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So immediately something like scales fell off Saul's eyes. He could see again, and he got up and was baptized. And after that, taking some food, he regained his strength. What a moment. Changed the world, that moment. That man's faith, his alignment with what God wanted to do, changed the world. Because Paul would, but it took a man partnering with God. Say, I'm not afraid of this man. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to... I'm going to speak the truth to this man. I'm going to tell him what you said to say. And it changed the world. I want to be like an Ananias. There's many people in this room, God has given you pictures of other people. He's given you insight to who they are, who they can be, what God wants to do in their heart. People that don't know Jesus, you've seen what God's put on their life. Don't be afraid. Don't give fear any room. You go and you love them. You speak what the Lord says to speak in love and watch their heart come alive. Watch them, watch the scales fall off their eyes. They may go to the nations, nations you can't reach. I'm telling you, it's a season for harvest. It's a season to be like an Ananias. I've got a few people. I've been praying for 15 years for these people. One of them is very close to me. One of them is not close. But the Lord will not let me stop. I try to ignore these things, and he keeps reminding me, this is what I showed you. I had you run into this person. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop believing one of them is the guy that led me to Jesus. 
I mean, all the time. I can't escape this guy. He doesn't even live here. I can't escape it. God has a plan for his life, and I see it, and I'm called to pray for it. And maybe do more, but at least pray. All right, we're going to keep going. So verse 19, verse 19. Let's see what happens after this. It gets, it gets exciting. Somebody's got to do a movie on the book of Acts. Man, it's good stuff. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now they're like, hey, he's on our team. All right. Like, Ananias, pray for him. It's good. Bring him in. And then at once, what happened? He began to preach in the synagogues. And what he preached was this, that Jesus is the son of God. You want to talk about a divisive thing to preach in a synagogue? (laughs) That'll get you killed. It did. It got him killed. And all those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them prisoner to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, he proved it, by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This man was full of biblical knowledge. And all of a sudden, everything was clicking in for Paul. And he said, my gosh, like the traditions, all that I've done, it's actually for this moment. And now the hope of glory, I've I've seen him. I've seen the resurrected Christ. I've seen the hope for Israel and all the world. And everything clicked into place. It wasn't that he converted and left the old. No, he took everything from the old. And now it had right alignment in Jesus. That's a big difference. So the old is gone, the old man, but the revelation, the, the, the understanding of the, who God is was now becoming fresh because of the life he lived before that. There was purpose in the life that he lived. There was purpose in his devotion, even when it was misplaced. Isn't God so good? His mercy is every morning. So he instantly begins proclaiming the good news, declaring Jesus is the Messiah. And that is what we must declare in this hour. Let's love people. Let's, let's do, let's, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. But out of our mouths has to come, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one you're looking for. So you need to win the right to be, you need to build relationships, yes. Like don't just run up to people and yell it in their face. Unless you really get a word from the Lord to do that, maybe you will. Um, but that needs to be articulated. Because that is the sticking point and that's what got Paul killed because that is where the power of God comes from understanding what's true and what's right. And that Jesus is the Messiah, the one in who life is found in him alone. So I want to, um, just as I'm wrapping up here, I want to go through four points because I like to do bullets. Four points of, four things we can learn from Paul based on his encounter with Jesus and his, and his encounter with Ananias. So four things we can learn. Four things that set him to be commissioned to do the things that God called him to. Number one, Paul knew he was sent by Jesus. Not by a man. He knew he had had an encounter with the Messiah, with the living, risen Christ. And nobody could take that away from him. This was not his parents' faith. This was not something he just heard that he, was a, that, that he was regurgitating this, and, and he faced opposition. And in Galatians, I'll read it to you, he defended himself because they were saying, you just got this from the apostles. You're just regurgitating other teaching, other information. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This was God himself. You can't take it away from me. And it's with that sort of conviction that I can preach with such power and in, in light of such persecution. Galatians 1, starting off to the, to the church, he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and, the God, and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. That's his identity now. I'm sent by Jesus himself. 
We need that level of conviction, that type of identity. I'm not sent by Life Center Church. I'm not sent by like, because I'm in the right denomination or because of who my dad is or my mom is. I'm sent because Jesus encountered me and he commissioned me to go to you. That type of conviction is what will cut to people's hearts. Like you're not there waving a Christian flag or a denomination over them. You are leading them to live to the living Christ who's encountered you. So start there. Start. There is profound testimonies in this room. Tell your testimony. Don't tell anybody else's. Tell yours. Don't talk about that. Oh, this person got healed and this thing happened. That's great. Start with what God did in your heart. That will open doors. That will open hearts way faster than anything else that you can tell them. Galatians 1.11 says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. This gospel is not of human design. I did not receive from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He understood. He had that. You don't have to have a Damascus Road experience like of that magnitude where you see him to have that type of conviction that I've had an encounter with Jesus, and that's why I'm talking to you. That's why you need to hear what I have to say. Number, number one, Paul knew he was sent by Jesus. Number two, Paul knew who he was called to reach. Paul knew who he was called to reach. He had an understanding right from the beginning, and I don't know who told him. I guess, I hope Ananias told him. I don't know. Maybe he held on to it and said, I'm going to tell you later. When you, I, I don't know when he heard, but clearly God said it up front. So all those that got baptized today, I really believe even today, God's going to clarify to you part of the calling and commissioning on your life. Because you, you have communion so that you can be commissioned to go. And there's very specific things he has for you. Very specific. And so it's missional. It's not just, I don't know how to put it, but it, doesn't it feel sometimes, I'm just going to be honest, it feels sometimes we're just, we want to engage with God just for us. <laughs> like, I'll just be honest. It does feel that way sometimes. It's like the benefits of God are so amazing, but there is, he, he's pushing some of us out of our nest, you know? It's like, get out of there. Like, I know you would love me so much and we have so much good time, but go and just give as freely as you've received. Just give it away. And it's, it's out of love. It, it's, not, it's not mean. It's like, you're gonna have life when you go and you give it away. You're gonna get discipled when you go and give it away. That's a big part of discipleship is going. I mean, when God called me and I had, and I had a commission to go into high schools, and minister to kids in high schools. Like that's the commission on my life. And so I was in college, right? Big school, you could do anything you want. And I spent, I can't tell how many hours I spent, way too much hours, way too much money. My mom was paying all my gas bills because I was driving out to these rural high schools. And God bless my mom. She was like, I'll pay for it because I guess, you know, you're going to God's will. So she paid for the exorbitant gas prices as I'm driving into these towns, these small podunk towns to minister to these high school kids. And I wasn't at school engaged with all the normal things people at school were doing. I could care less, honestly, because I had a commission from the Lord. And there was life and there was discipleship and growth in that moment. And I had my little prayer list and I didn't know what I was doing. My co-leader didn't even think I was saved. He was like, when you started, I didn't know if you were saved. But I figured, hey, this guy's he's zealous enough. Maybe he'll work out. I was like, really? You didn't know that? Boy. Um, but in that moment, in going, I got discipled. I said, God is real. He's, all these kids are getting saved and I don't even know what I'm doing because I'm not saving them. You are, Jesus. <laughs> I can't do this. You kidding me? So that's what happened to me. Um, so Paul was gripped by his calling, so gripped by it. I, I won't read it, but in Romans 1, he talks about I, actually, I will read it. It's very quick. Romans 1 verse 14, he says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you are in Rome. He's riding to Rome. He wants to go preach in Rome, and he did. He went and died in Rome. And he, he went and did what the Lord said, despite knowing he was gonna die. Um, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. He knew who he was called to, and he, so much so that he went, even with prophetic words, telling him he's gonna get killed. If you go to Jerusalem, they're gonna bound you up, they're gonna send you to Rome, and you're gonna be in prison, and you're probably gonna die. He said, 
Praise God, I got a prophetic word, I'm going. Like, that actually helped him say go, you know? If somebody gave you that word, if they're like, you're going to go to Washington, D.C., and you're going to be in prison, and you'd be like, yeah, I'm not going. Like, <laughs> but he knew his storyline. He knew what he was commissioned to do, and so he got to go, and he got to preach. He preached in Jerusalem in front of all the top leaders, just like the Bible said he would. He preached to the Gentiles. He preached to the Gentile kings and told them all about Jesus because he was on chains. He was on trial. Nobody would do that if they didn't understand their commissioning. They didn't understand their calling, and he fulfilled his calling in a way that most of us wouldn't do because of the stigma, because of the, and he faced stigma for being in prison. People are like, you following Jesus, man? Come on. You're in prison. You're like beat up. Like, you following Jesus? I thought he was going to protect you. I thought he was going to, you know, do something with your life. Now we read Paul more than we read anything. It's like, because he was faithful and understood his commission and his calling. And so that's my point. Know who you're called to reach. Know what God's given you to do. Number three, Paul knew he would suffer for Jesus. Paul knew he would suffer. So in Acts 21, this is what I was referencing earlier. They're sending him off. Um, I forget where he is. But they said, when they heard this, we the people there pleaded with Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Am I, not ready, to, am I ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? He, he was prepared to suffer and willing to because he knew that's what it took. And God told him that right in the beginning. So if you're getting crazy words that are like kind of tripping you out like of like hard things happening in your life, don't necessarily throw those out and think those are the enemy. Like God may be preparing you because he, he, to, he wants to keep you at a place where you're, you're secure and you're not thrown off by the challenging things ahead. So it's not necessarily just the enemy. Now bring somebody in, because sometimes it could be, uh, <laughs> to be honest. But bring somebody in, because he may speak things that are really tough to grapple with. But the Bible shows that God warned people of very serious things. Not so they would pray against it, but so they'd be able to go through it. All right, last point. Um, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, I like to read my points. I'll say this real quick. So number one, Paul knew he was sent by Jesus. Number two, Paul knew he was called to, who he was called to reach. Number three, Paul knew he would suffer for Jesus. Number four, Paul did not despise his past. He was Jewish to the core, to the end of his life. He didn't despise his upbringing. He didn't despise what God, what God had, how God had prepared him, even in his own rebellion against God. He did not despise it. I'll read this to you real quick. Um, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying, this is Paul writing to Timothy, that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience. Isn't that good? If you're like really, feel like you're giving God a hard time, read this verse so that he might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, the, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. See, Paul grew up in Tarsus. Paul grew up immersed in Jewish culture, but also immersed in Greco-Roman culture, the Gentile world. And he, that background equipped him to be everything to all people. I mean, he could minister to anybody because he lived in a multicultural environment. There's people here, you've lived in New York for, I don't know, some of you a bit, some of you a while. You are so equipped to reach people that other people are not equipped to reach. Like, do not despise, even if you were in New York and you were living a whole different life, you know, and you were not following Jesus. I'm telling you, God's redeeming every single one of those things. And he's gonna bring you people that relate to you and look like you, look like the old you, and it's going to be a lot easier to minister to them. That's why Paul can minister so powerfully to all these different people. He grew up multicultural Tarsus. He grew up dealing with the Greco. He knew all the great philosophers of the day. He knew all the Jewish scholarship of the day. He knew it all, and God used it all. So he's using your background. Don't despise your background. Don't despise who you are, your culture, your ethnicity, your race. Don't despise it one bit. God made you that way, and he's going to use all of it. Could everybody stand up for me, please?
So as I said to start with, and I really believe this, there's an urgency this morning. In the moment we live in, and for each person in this room, there's an urgency. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel the urgency of your life being used for his glory. You were made for his glory. You were made to reconcile things back to God. You yourself, you are a sign and a wonder. Look what God did in me. Look how he reckoned. Look at where I came from. <laughs> Look at what he did in my heart. If we'll open up our heart to other people, we'll be open and vulnerable. Oh my gosh. They'll see themselves in your story. They'll say, there's hope for me too. And then you won't condemn anybody because you're just sharing. Like, hey, I got stuff, man. Here's what I did. Here's what my life looked like. And guess what? It's not perfect now. But Jesus lives in me. His hope is in me. His blood runs through my veins. I'm his. I've been baptized. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. So, Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray for the urgency, that we would feel the urgency of the hour we live in, that we would feel the authority of Jesus resting on our lives. I feel that's for some of you today. It's like there's an authority on your life, and part of it's packaged in your testimony. If you would share your testimony, you would recognize the authority God's put in you. So God, I pray, just as in the book of Acts, you told Paul's story, his testimony, three times. You emphasized the encounter he had with you. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that the testimonies in this house, let them go forth to the streets, to the colleagues, to the family members, let them go forth. That we would not be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to save souls, to win hearts, to reconnect, to reconcile lives back to you. And so I commission you today to let, I just feel like, let your testimony hang out for all to see. Be unashamed of what God's done in you. God, I pray today that you would give fresh vision to your people people that you've called, you positioned in a different place, and you want to give them a recommissioning today. Lord, I pray right now you recommission them. I pray you would bring to their minds the people in their lives, Lord, that you've called them to right now. I pray that the intimacy, the intimacy on your life, the aroma of Christ off of you, that it would, it would just go down every street in this city. Every elevator you're in, God, I pray you would use every testimony in this house for your glory. And I pray to you would give us, Lord, give us passion for one another as well. I'm just going to pray this over you and then we're going to worship. Because there's something about you. We individually have testimonies, but we also are individually connected. We're our, we're our brothers and our sisters keepers. And there's something about us praying too. God, would you let Jordan's testimony go forth in the earth? Would you let Rich's testimony bear fruit in every place that he sows it? Would you let Tammy's testimony take it, into the, take it to the Greeks? Like, would you send them forth and the things that you've given them to? There's something about owning other people's testimonies in this house. We gotta do a whole testimony thing because when you hear somebody's testimony, then you can help them steward it. And you can pray that they release it. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 says this. Paul writing, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may bring you to fruition, bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and that you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. God, let that be our prayer for not just ourselves, but for one another. We worship you, King Jesus. Let's worship him.
We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.